This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. And I'm Tamahome. And we're going to talk about Up Against It, a novel by M.J. Locke that came out in 2011, 12, 13, <laughs> maybe 14. In 2011, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, in, in hardcover, I guess 2011, paperback 2012, and audiobook either 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I blame Tam for me reading this, <laughs> I think. Oh, my no, fault. I blame you, you, should blame, you need to blame myself. Because, uh, um, let's see, Tam, yeah. Tam mentioned that Joe Walton gave this a very positive review of the type, something like, uh, you know, this has renewed my faith. I, I can in read Yeah, please do. Yeah, why don't you read it? I can read yeah. it. Uh, but I recently read MJ Locke's Up Against It, which is set in space in our future and is wonderful and just the sort of thing to give me faith that there's still a lot of juice in the genre yet. Hmm. Very cool. So interesting. So yeah. After, so that, yeah, that's worth that's that's the ultimate cause of mm-hmm. all right. of our. And once I read that, stuff. I was like, hey, I would I would really like to do that. And it was there was an audio version, and um, plus I have you know kind of said in the past that I feel a little bit left behind by the. Well, left behind is not really the right words. I, I feel I feel, that, I feel that I'm no longer <laughs> the audience for science fiction that's being written today. Yeah. Well, hey, I've been I've been in that place for a long time, Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and then I for that I can probably blame you. <laughs> no, I didn't push you into this spot, no, did I? I didn't push you. No, I, you I made, I've, I've you, been in, you, uh, drawing you in towards me, but I don't think I was Did I you ever was, did you ever watch Corner Gas? There's a there's a Corner Gas episode where everybody keeps getting bumped into a new bracket and it's making them mad, you know, so like they somebody gives somebody a, a really nice bottle of wine and they drink that and now they no longer want the other wine so they've been bumped up into a new wine bracket. Right. So you bumped me into a new science fiction bracket, I think. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it's just the old science fiction. <laughs> the yeah. radium and science I, fiction. Right, the radium age. Yeah. So you know, with that said, I did not dislike this book. Um, I liked it. You know, I, I gave it three out of five stars, which is I liked it on Goodreads. And yeah. I also thought that the first 25% or so was at least a four-star. I mean, I was really interested. I was really engaged in that first quarter of the book. And then, um, I don't know, the, the rest of it, I, I said in the review, fairly or unfairly, that it was kind of like an episode of 24. You know, everybody hmm. running around, you know, yeah. not knowing who's who. Lots of explosions. Um, Except in 24, there's really only one character, whereas in this, there's, there's lots. Yeah, that's true. At least two or three main characters. Mm-hmm. And this has less torture. Yeah. yeah less torture. <laughs> 50% less torture. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that, that sounds a bit like what, Tam, you were saying as well. You said it was, during the week, you said something like, uh, it's more fun if you if you keep track or make tick boxes every time a trope of science fiction comes up. Yeah, I was writing down all the technical terms because there's no glossary. So somehow it was more fun once I kept all that stuff uh, straight. Yeah, if if I uh, one of the things I I do whenever I do a post or a review is I try and add every trope that that uh, is I can find. You know, if it's you know vampires, zombies, uh, immortality, uh, you know, cats, whatever it is. I, I try and list it down. Now, if I had had to do this as a review, I would have a, a lot of tags because it has practically everything that you find in science fiction other than immortality. And I, I think, I mean, that's even touched on a little bit. They, they do have, <laughs> they do have, you know, uh, age defying makeup or whatever, it is, you know, age defying genetics and. Yeah. yeah. They're taking life extension treatments, and yeah, all you know, we're talking a little bit about the result of that. You know, the a couple went all the way around the asteroid belt, mm-hmm. you know, because they've got the time to do that kind of stuff. And yeah, so I think maybe like I, 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 I guess I agree with you guys. This is not a, it's not a bad book at all. It's, I think my problem with it is 
Uh, I just didn't engage with any particular thing because there was no, I was trying to figure out why I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. And I think the reason is, is this is, it feels like uh, what they call mimetic fiction. You guys know what that is? No. It sounds like you're imitation, imitating something. It's, it's, it's what Henry James does when he's not writing horror stories. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, uh, people living in, you know, the city and going to their jobs and getting divorced and having affairs and, and all that stuff, except it's mimetic fiction in a science fiction universe. There's like a lot of stuff happening and there's not, for everything that there's a trope, there is a tiny, tiny little info dump, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? She's not making a big info dump because she's not doing any one thing that's brand new. I don't think there was anything in this book that I said, oh, my God, that's an amazing idea. Like wave face, right? As far as I can tell, that's like Google Glass, except it's in your it's in your skull or something. Right, right. Um, there's, uh, it's like you've got apps and stuff, right? So it's not, that's not particularly new. You know, yeah, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about that too. The concept, the uh, music, that's the language, but maybe she got that from somebody. That, I, I, I know that that's been done before. I don't know if that particular thing's been brought into science fiction as much, uh, in outer space, but it's certainly, certainly not brand new. I mean, this is definitely in dialogue with like other, Science fiction oh, authors yeah. like uh, Doctor uh, Cory Doctorow and um, yeah, Bruce Sterling, and um, she mentions like she has an afterword in the Kindle version where she uh, gives thanks to um, Chris Crawford, some game designer that I think he came up with something like Tonal Z, the, the musical yeah. language that you communicate with the AI with. And uh, Viridians is actually a Bruce Sterling thing. There's a whole website devoted to it. So she's. Taking all these things and I guess uh, running with them, doing a riff on yeah, and it, 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 I think that's like um, I love asteroid miner stories. When I was uh, in reading in the eighties, I was re- I wasn't reading you know radium age stuff. I was reading uh, Heinlein and and later I guess, um, and obviously this has got a lot of Heinlein in it as well. Um, I read a book called um, The Island Worlds by Eric. Maddox Roberts, no, John Maddox Roberts and Eric Catani. And I was thinking a lot about that book while I was reading this because it's, it's basically, it's, you know, it's asteroid miners. Um, but the way that one was done is it's, you know, rich kid leaving earth to go off and be an asteroid miner. And when he gets there, it's basically, uh, the moon is a harsh mistress in the asteroid belt. You know, they're trying to do a revolution from, from, uh, from earth. And this is not that. This is like, this is, is, is where everyone there lives in the asteroid belt, right? There's no newcomer. And that's why we feel like it's, it's like, well, I, that's why I feel it's like mimetic fiction. It's, it's more like living in a, uh, living in a world that's there rather than being introduced to one. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. It's more like mainstream uh, drama, you're saying? Yeah, um, uh, but with with all the tropes of science fiction, um, it's yeah, like she, it's she like did have she did have uh, the info stuff. dumps too, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're very small. Yeah, but they were you know they were interesting at least at the beginning they were to me. <laughs> um, but I, I have a question for you. You know, I'm wondering if some of the issue that I feel you know with the science fiction that's being produced today is that there's almost a generally agreed upon, you know, whether it's in writing or not writing, but there's like a, a generally agreed upon direction that our future is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like one of those things is like the, well, was it Scalzi called it a brain pal? And mm-hmm. in here, I forget what it's called, but there's, you know, like chips in your head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like... Wavewear? Yeah, wavewear or whatever. But, I mean, the question is, if if you were writing a science fiction novel now and you didn't include that, would it feel correct to you? Yeah, well, that, I think there's more than one kind of science fiction. So, sure, uh, yeah. They're, 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 of, the, of the kind that is set in the future, 
um, like sort of Heinlein style, set in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be rocket ships. <laughs> yeah. There's, there might be, you know, you might go the Charles Strauss direction where you just eliminate the human characters completely and just go with the robot characters, right? Yeah. Or I guess Ian, uh, what's his name? Banks. The, Ian M. Banks, yeah. He, his, his human characters are sort of sidelined to the, to the spaceships or whatever. Um, you could go in that direction, and that certainly is in this direction of up, you know, what up against itself. But then, like, I just read a, a story by Philip K. Dick, um, that was, it was set in the future like that where the, the humans have discovered this old planet that, uh, is, that is been, was colonized by humans long ago. And they go down there and, and the people there are like Amish, right? They're, they, they don't, they're not exactly Amish because they use, uh, a lot more tech than the Amish do, but they don't think that tech is going to determine their life. They, their culture determines their life and the tech, um, is subservient to the, the culture. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I guess we do that too, but, um, a lot of people will say, I'm never going to get, I'm never going to get a uh, Google Glass or whatever it is. I wouldn't want that. And then 50 years down the road, maybe all their kids will have it and they have it. Um, yeah. It seems yeah. inevitable in our world. So, uh, well, then the question comes, okay, so. <laughs> in the case of the Philip K. Dick story, uh-huh. the, the point of that story was to make us look at the received future, I guess we would call it the received future and question it and say, is that really the way you want to go with this? Because if you look at the received future uh, of what's described on earth in up against it, um, Canada's full of refugees from foreign countries, presumably because of um, global warming, causing uh, lots of people to be flooded out. Um, sea, sea level rise and, you know, it's, it's shanty towns in Vancouver, which I was like, where the hell would they put their shanty towns? They'd be on the mountains. There's, there's not a lot of extra space here. And, you know, Edmonton was full of refugees and it's like, okay, so obviously things have sort of progressed on earth, but it's an industrial progression, right? It's not like mm-hmm. a, uh, it isn't a, this isn't a utopian book. And that's another direction that science fiction goes. Mm-hmm. But notice we don't see that much anymore. It used to be quite a big trend. I guess it goes in waves. But the, the, if if you look at the radium age, it's it is there's a lot of that where people are trying to come. Well, yeah, well, there's still a lot of dystopias being written. You know, if you count. No, no, I was saying utopia. Utopias. Okay, yeah, that's right. This is, uh, this is not exactly dystopia, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it would be dystopic on Earth. Uh-huh. But, yeah. He's live on Earth. but at least they made it out into space. <laughs> Some progress. I, I don't understand uh, that. That's the other problem I had. I have no idea why they're on this 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 mining colony. Why are they there? Because Earth is so horrible, I guess. Mm, yeah, well, I, I, that doesn't make a lot. Is of there some kind of religious persecution on Earth? I, I didn't quite understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, that's what I was worried about. I thought it was going to end up being, you know. This book will be continued in book two of the uh, the Earth is Horrible series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a, a follow-up. It was. It, I think that's just good background, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess so... you left the option open, but maybe the book wasn't that successful. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I think, I think that's just good. You know, it's like good world building is you don't have to... I, I dislike it when an author says, oh, I, the world I built was so good, I have to tell more stories in it. No, make a new world. Tell a different story. Sorry, Scott, you're no, 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 to I, no, I'm still just kind of thinking about this. You know, we, we've agreed that this book is good, right? Yeah. We liked it. Um, but we also agree that it's full of things that we've seen before. And yeah, there's not any one new thing in it that I could see. Right, right. So... And then um, you mentioned Philip K. Dick. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, why is, is the is the purpose of the Philip K. Dick story what makes you like that type of fiction more than you would like this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing new in that Philip K. Dick story other than the idea. Okay. Right? 
So the idea of uh, the, the people on this planet in this in this Philo K. Dick story are incredibly self-aware. They they say yes, we do all these culturally strange things, um, uh, and we know that it causes hardship. But on the other hand, we enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> and it's like wow, that's weird. Um, just these very consciously. It, the story's called Souvenir, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's on the PDF page, but okay. it's uh it's it's just it, it, it's astounding to me, like that he's got this sort of anti-received wisdom of what the world's going to be like, and that makes us question it. And I think that's a kind of a cool idea because in this story, there is nothing that there's no way for us not to go in that direction mm-hmm. is the is the feeling i get from reading this book everybody's going to start to do gene tampering everybody's going to have wave face installed um global warming is going to happen um, so it's a book um then i i guess what i'm really getting at is to me if i have not encountered these ideas before i probably would have you know, I, I can understand why people are giving it five stars. Yeah. yeah, I would have been yeah. excited by it much yeah. more. But because all three of us have read so many books, we feel like, well, this is, you know, we've seen all this before. This is not new, but it's not a bad book, you know? Well, did you guys see it was, was that Tom Cruise movie? Was it called Oblivion or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I thought, I don't know if it was me or someone else, but somebody said, or I said, it was like, it was really good introduction to all the tropes of science fiction that have been in every movie ever. Mm-hmm. So if you've never seen a science fiction movie because you were born in the year 2000, um, watch Oblivion. It'll be good, you know, introductory science fiction. Now, I don't think that that's exactly fair to say that this novel is like that because the level of the you know the the tropes in the SF movies are very low compared yeah, to the level. Sure. I mean, this is uh, I was very obvious to me that uh, her name's not really M J Locke, but we'll call her M J Locke. That M J Locke read a ton of science fiction, was a was somebody who knew what the hell they're talking about when it comes to physics, because mm. there was no physics issues in this at all, as far as I could tell. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I was just listening to Luke talk about um, the uh, the what uh, are those Darwin elevator books, you know? Yeah. And it was sounded like it, I would have been pissed off listening to those, even you know, even with Simon Vance narration, <laughs> narrating, um, I would have been pissed off because the, the, the space elevators there, aren't. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're subser- the physics are subservient to the to the action. In here, the action might be what's driving the story along, but the physics are dead on as far as I can tell. There's nothing wrong. And that is exactly how I want it to be. When I, you know, when I read science fiction, I want to not be pissed off about, well, that doesn't make any sense. But I also didn't, like, uh, I guess the reveals, the way things are fixed, like there's a sugar rock with uh, more than the expected amount of uh oxygen uh, yeah. water in it yeah water in it um yeah it's okay but it it was um it wasn't it wasn't like a an amazing reveal or anything it was it was just um it was just stuff happening i guess but to to a person who that's new to they would like it more yeah, yeah. they would probably well i think it's potential but the but the way also it's written um, it seems like it's it because there's no intro character, right? The closest we come to that, and I mean, I was kind of expecting it to happen a lot more, and a lo- it happens once, I think, in the whole book. We get the AI from the AI's point of view. Oh, I guess twice. Mm-hmm. And when the AI's coming online and we see it from the AI's point of view, um, we actually have sort of, oh, this is cool. I don't know how the world works. I'm going to f- calculate it out in the next two seconds, which takes, you know, 30, 13 pages or something, right? Right, right. Um, and that's really, that was very fun because we're getting that intro that we really, really do need. In the way um, this book, I think, can't really, <laughs> I, I know books are sold not just for marketing, but it can't really sell to, like if I gave this to my, my uh, niece, Mm-hmm. And said, wow, you know, you're not really into science fiction yet, but check this out. 
she would say, I, I don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Because there isn't enough info dumping. Um, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seems like there's not enough info dumping. And there's also not enough um, of a character who's like her that she could get into. So I can sort of empathize with the teens in this book because I read uh, Little Brother, right? Mm-hmm. I can empathize with the uh, the AI because um, that's more like, you know, our being a baby and growing up into the world. But um, the people with the, you know, the two heads and the 14 arms or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still not there. <laughs> I, needed a, I needed a reason why those people were dressed up that way, yeah. and maybe that's because I haven't read those books. You know that that first that first chapter uh, was definitely felt like Doctor O to me. If uh, you know, yeah. I I had an expectation after that first chapter of a little brother type of a book, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel that way ever again after. They're they're much more collaborative with their government than they yeah. are uh, fighting their government. But they, I don't know. It's, it's almost as if I forgot they were teens, pretty much. Um, you know the yeah. You know when we when we did see them, you know we didn't see them in every chapter of the book or anything like that. But when we did see them, I never felt the Dr. O-ishness again. You know, Tam, you were saying that it, it would, you know, benefit from a visual adaptation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining all the, uh, floating around and low gravity stuff. Yeah. That's and, a little Ender's game as well as what I was thinking there. Right. All the, it, or, they're doing the, the dive run towards the enemy's what the enemy's goal is down yeah, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Or the, there's this anime called Planet ES, which is uh, kind of more hard SF than average anime, and they, mm-hmm. they 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 float around a lot on their space station. Or the movie Gravity, which Scott just saw. Yeah, this mm-hmm. would be pretty cool as animated. <laughs> that would be right. kind of neat to see it. You know, that, that's something that I'm I'm surprised hasn't happened yet. Maybe. Maybe it will, but, you know, a good animated science fiction movie, um, you know, I'm not sure why that's not on the table because, um, you know, you don't really have to worry about your special effects budget. You know, it's not like an animated movie is easy to make or anything like that, but, you know, maybe, you know, with Serenity and things, they figure they've got a limited audience, you know, because if everybody surrendered, they only made 30 million bucks or whatever. Let me support Tam's idea as well. You know, like, um, for example, Babylon 5, right? I sent you those yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. Scott. Yeah, and I liked it very Babylon much. Babylon 5 has nothing new. True. It absolutely does not have new stuff. What it has is it has the characters that you like. Um, I can't say I loved any of the characters in this, I, I like the AI a little bit. Mm hmm. Um, I think there was too many characters and they all were too versed in their own politics and, uh, you know, family problems and such uh, for me to, you know, really connect with them in any way. But Babylon 5 had good characters and it had the visual element in in television science fiction. I do not go there for new ideas. That That's is not true. What I'm so it's a totally different expectation level. Exactly. And I, I was talking with um, Luke about this mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. I was talking about how I was going to talk about this book because when I watch TV, I have no expectations of any ideas happening. And so when they do happen, I'm like shocked and pleased and surprised. But I I don't I don't go there for that. I go to books for for great ideas. And and so I was thinking like, well, what what really what ideas? <laughs> haven't been explored and obviously we need somebody to tell us that um but i i i sent you guys via twitter this morning that story on on uh eve online yeah 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 that was neat did you get a read of that no i haven't read it i didn't read the whole thing i looked at it you know and read about the first quarter and then saved it for later but so my friend steen he's always uh keeping track of what's going on at eve online we neither of us have ever played it but um, and it doesn't sound like it'd be that fun to play um, because there's a hell of a lot of work involved. Um, but on the other hand, Eve Online is basically a simulation of what's going on in the novel up against it. It's it's and many other things set in space and like uh, and I was thinking a lot about Babylon Five while uh, while reading up against it. 
Um, you know, there's all these political machinations uh, between different factions and how to get things done in a political system without, you know, uh, causing a war or getting fired. And, you know, th that's all good stuff, but only in visual science fiction like Avalon 5 with, you know, great characters and dramatic music and, you know, the occasional fight scene with, that kills a real character, right? Um, so that's all good. But in EVE Online, what's so interesting is it's not fiction. It's, it's really happening. And it really costs real world dollars when you, when your spaceship is blown up. You could have sold that spaceship on, you know, eBay or something. Um, it's, it's like gold farming, except it's not gold. It's, it's, you know, you build whole worlds. EVE Online is like a simulated universe. And because there's so many players, and they put so much, so many hours, so many years of their lives into it. Um, it, it's, it's fascinatingly wonderful to follow the stories as, as real news stories, uh, of, of what's going on in every, I don't know, nine months or couple, you know, 18 months or so. There's a story like this coming out of, out of Eve Online where somebody's libertarian, um, you know, uh, you know, alliance <laughs> suddenly is is trojaned by a, a a less libertarian alliance, or you know, it's 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 basically a a universe of economic experiments, um, and it's not governed by anything other than the rules of the game, and the rules of the game are so limited, the so few that normally illegal things are legal, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're allowed to cheat people out of money in that universe because the game designers won't stop you. So you have to beware. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes it really cool. And it makes it like a simulation of our world. But the difference there, when I read that story on EVE Online, that's a real, that really happened to real people. Whereas in this book, it didn't actually happen. It's fiction. Even though those real people are just sitting in front of their computer, you can imagine them getting mad when their $300,000 spaceship is exploded. Yeah. <laughs> they spent 19 months working on. You can imagine their feeling at that happening. Ah! They throw their <laughs> keyboard across the room. You can feel it. It really happened. And so many people's lives and investiture into that. That's fascinating. Now, I'm not trying to compare these two worlds. What I'm saying is, I don't know how to make that, that, uh, fictional world, that World of Warcraft sort of gold mining thing into a story, but there's something there mm -hmm. because that's our that's our real future, you know. It's, yeah, that's interesting. In leisure, mm -hmm. I don't know what other things are uh, in our future that haven't been looked at yet, but I, I know Cory Doctor has looked at this a little bit with you know some of his books, but I, I think okay. I like this better than than both of you. I mean, um, okay. I mean, I, I see that it's in dialogue with other science fiction authors, but um, I guess maybe I haven't read as much as, as you two. Like, I've never read Bruce Sterling and neither have his, I. Uh, Viridians that really yeah, do I, I had a no lot idea of gene, that uh, manipulation existed before this novel. I had no clue. Yeah. So, um, um, but why, I mean, are, they, why are they like? I don't. I don't understand it. It's it sort of. It's on the same um, spectrum as nose piercings and ears piercings and tattooing, but I don't understand that either. So I didn't, I couldn't engage with that. I don't, I don't, I don't feel sympathy for, I, I, I guess the only thing that's kind of made more sense in that respect is like with the, the, what was it? Vim or Ver, the gender neutral pronoun. Yeah. H I R H I R. H and there was also a Z. <laughs> Zim, yeah, it's Z. Right. Right. So that I was thinking yeah, I was thinking about that as being a very um uh probably a, a good idea if if you have a certain percentage of the population that are uh transgender. Um I, I was thinking that that almost made sense as a as a way of engaging, but I don't understand why people would want to have a you know, a purple purple nose or uh, an extra forelimb coming out of their chest. I don't, I don't understand that. I've never understood that sort of transhuman position. And 
I guess I I wouldn't have minded finding a way to access the understanding of that, but mm. I didn't find it in here. I think I think the real reveal here is that normally when we got we talk about a book, we talk about um isn't it fascinating what happened in this scene? And we're not doing that. We're we're doing it more like a review. Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, why we didn't like it more. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> why we didn't like it more. I guess it's because, you know, I look at the book and I'm like, you know, I should like this more. That's really yeah. kind of how I felt about it. It was like, I, I should. Um, and it was good, you know. I, I, I like um, the Now, Jane, go ahead. Don't, don't yeah. drag me in with you two. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Now, what about, um, now, Jane, was she was genetically enhanced, right? She had hands for feet. Right. Which well, are I mean, good in zero there's, gravity? There's the chromes, which yeah. have like minor genetic adaptions. And then there's the uh-huh. mutes, which are heavily into it. And they uh-huh. live in like the poor areas of the asteroid. And they're kind of ostracized. Yeah, so Bujold wrote a Nebula Award winning yeah, book, Falling, Falling Free. Free. Yeah, that was the Quaddies were the same way. And they were, those ones were actually genetically engineered by a company, they were almost invented. Not almost invented. They were invented, and they were like slave uh, slaves of this corporation. They owned them, kept them not too bright, you know, in the brain area. There's uh, there's other precedents as well. There's uh, the Larry Niven novel called uh, the Inter- Integral Trees, uh, mm-hmm. in which humans are living in a uh, what's called a smoke ring, a a oxygen environment outside of a star. Mm-hmm. So basically a planetless solar system, uh, full of air. And, uh, the people there have been there so long that, yeah, their feet have been selected for, uh, for prehensileness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, there's lots of stuff that we've seen before, but you know, some of the things that bug me, um, and, and it was it, that it felt like Doctor O. Or it was a mashup of Doctor O and Heinlein. So we've got this very Heinleinian sort of hero character, right? Him and his his buddies. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, he he somebody smiles and he gets an erection. <laughs> and I thought, okay, now that that Go right there, that's 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 Cory Doctor O doing Heinlein, right? Updating Heinlein, sort of the juvenile YA. Um, but Later on, and it happens again later on, and uh, to me, this is like Chekhov's gun. Right? <laughs> um, uh, the reason Heinlein never mentions erections, well, maybe he did in like, one, I don't think he ever did, really. Um, when his adult characters have sex, it always happens off screen, pretty much. I mean, they talk about it a lot, but it always happens off screen. When Cory Doctorow updates it, um, he has, you know, there's a payoff, right? <laughs> if the, you know, like in Chekhov's gun, in Chekhov's gun, if that gun is put up there, you have to have it. And I had a feeling it wasn't going to happen and it didn't happen. And I think there's a lot of stuff like that going on in this book that, that doesn't lend itself to saying, Oh, it's just awesome. I love every second of it because we feel like, yeah, that's not really going to pay off later. And it's, it's just, there's too much going on. There's not one central character that we we can sort of stand behind and see it as a viewpoint into the universe. And, and at least that's I'm trying to figure out why I don't like it more like I want to. But on the other hand, uh, I think you know, well, maybe MJ Locke's just immature. You know, in in this is I I figured the first book while I was reading it, and then later on I'm reading about it. Oh, this is not her first book. I thought maybe, you know, two or three books down the road, she's going to be like, yeah, like an immature writer. She doesn't, I thought maybe she hasn't written a lot and she doesn't know, you know, as you write, your first books are not as good as your later books. Mm-hmm. Heinlein's first books are not that great. Um, but as he gets going, he learns, you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, so lines that stand out to me are, are things that Elmore Leonard would say, you know, John said or she said, they said, and instead she pillowed her cheek. This happens, I think, three times in the book. Somebody pillows her cheek. Um, I wasn't sure what that meant. Mm-hmm. 
but I was thinking about the visualization of that more than what she was saying while she was pillowing her cheek. And I, I think that style of writing is very popular today, but I don't think it's a good style of writing. Yeah. yeah. In, in uh, Jack London stories, nobody pillows their cheeks. Even the guy who's, who's got frostbite on his cheek, he doesn't pillow it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I like Jane as uh, a character. Plus, she was kind of like a older Ripley, but is now a politician. <laughs> yeah. But then at the end, so she's, she's kind a, of, uh, the resource manager. Yeah. 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 yeah at the end, a, she kind of has a spiritual, God. like an artificial spiritual awakening, and then uh, starts to change her life. Artificial spiritual awakening. Well, like she has that voice, and that turns out to be a hack, but right. it kind of changes her outlook. She uh, doesn't want to remain a politician after that. I wouldn't want to remain a politician. Not in this world. It's too too many uh, too many uh, compromises. Too much bullshit. So so yeah, according to, uh, to according to Justin Landon of Stafford's Book Review, this has the best politics he's ever read. From his real world. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand that. You were saying you were saying this is a po- political book. I mean, there. Well, there according are, to him, it's authentically however politics really is. That's all I was saying. Yeah, I would I would guess that's that's like probably a, full true. of compromise and stuff. Yeah, I would guess that's probably true. Unfortunately, it's particularly unappealing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he's even the main character. I, I mean, my, uh, my my only problem with the book is like around forty percent. it gets really slow like there's a lot of double dealings and stuff and you kind of want the thriller plot to accelerate more mm. so i mean that that's my major complaint otherwise I'll, i like the book fine i mean yeah i guess the end is more of a thriller as opposed to like a rendezvous with rama where they're just exploring space which seems to be what scott prefers <laughs> well i don't know i don't i don't know you know that's the strange thing is i don't know what i prefer anymore <laughs> it's like i've gone through okay. you know i mean Gosh, I've been doing this since, what, 2003 or so on SFF Audio. Read mm-hmm. one heck of a lot of science fiction. And I was thinking, you know, I, you know, this, this type of book is something that I probably have no right to review anymore. You mm-hmm. know, because I have a certain feeling before I even read it that, um, is, is a negative feeling. I was thinking it was maturity because I I would have lapped up a lot of what's going on in this book when I was much younger. Well, um, it might it might have to do with maturity or just having read a lot of things like it. It's like that's what I mean. You know, I have that's a certain I, set of expectations, and yeah, and I know what I like and I know what's really really great. And you know, they're very specific tastes that I've acquired now. Um, you know, I, I was looking at the last bunch of books that I've read, you know, like 2312, you know, I didn't finish that one. Um, mm. and, and that's the kind of book that I would have absolutely loved. And I'm not sure why. So, you know, you're saying, you know, just, ex, you know, uh, exploration yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it does. It seems like the perfect book for me, but I, I couldn't finish it. And then um, this book, I had certain expectations. Um, I think it was better than I expected it to be. Um, but again, I, I had, there wasn't anything in it that I haven't seen before. So it, it's almost like, you know, do you remember that essay that, uh, Tobias Buckel put on his blog once about reviewing and how, you know, once you've read a certain number of books, it's almost like you're looking at books from this detached position <laughs> for an audience that you're really not part of anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that I've, I've reached that and, yeah, I probably it's probably not even fair for me to review books like this because I, I'm I'm it's almost like I'm against them at the beginning. It's like you know this is well, no longer yeah. interesting to me you what you're going to tell me, to but I'm going to read it anyway. You have to put a bunch of caveats at the beginning. Of your, yeah, your review. And I, I, I probably should, and I probably you know, should. And this number of years old. Yeah, I've read uh, Heinlein, Clark, and Asimov, as well as you know. Bunch of other more modern people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, take this into account while reading this. Yeah. Get off, get off exactly my lawn. Right. And this book is okay. I, yeah. Get off my. I have not. I have my, not read a lot of modern science fiction 
you know, by modern, let's just say written since 2000 that I've liked. And I can't explain why. And I keep trying as if, you know, I really want to like it. <laughs> but it, that may be gone. Maybe I just need to step away and read some different stuff and, and come back. I don't know. No, I don't. I, I don't think it is a um, I don't. It's, it, it's like you've got. See, I don't think Scott today could read this book and say, oh, my God, the ideas are so interesting and brand new because they're not brand new and interesting to you. Yeah, because you, they are all. There's nothing in here that you is. I cannot find one thing that's new. And to me, that is kind of what science fiction is for. Is it's not necessarily new technology. It's new ideas, and it's you know it, I I would say idea fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the ideas in here are a whole bunch of ideas that other people talked about. And I'm not trying to you know say the book is terrible. I think it's 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 competent. It's competent. It just I. Was not my brain was not stimulated. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's it. You know, I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, so I, I do. St- you know, that's not science fiction. Now why, why is Lord of the Rings so much more appealing than this? Well, do you have? Yeah, more it's else? interesting. <laughs> is it? Just yeah, but, but that, that's a valid question. The, uh, that's a valid question. It's because they're. I'm, I'm the constantly themes. think of the themes that yeah, are going on exactly in there. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. The themes. There are things going on in there when I read there. And the decisions the characters make and um, the things that are happening in the world have a – in Lord of the Rings, it has an especially added depth to it. So when I read Lord of the Rings this time through, I was discovering things constantly that I was absolutely excited by and thought quite a bit about. Um, you know, So in a nutshell, you know, if reading Lord of the Rings made me feel like I could be better. You know, hmm. it's, edifying. it's edifying. That's a good word. You know? Yeah, I like that word. So when your four-hour podcast on Lord of the Rings comes out, we'll all <laughs> check it. <laughs> yeah, um, we talked about a lot of stuff. You know, that's the next episode of Good Story. We talked and talked and talked, and you know, we still didn't run out of stuff. We kind of rushed through the last little bit. Um, yeah, you would yeah, have to. I mean, it was like, well, this is getting ridiculous, so let's finish. You know, type of a thing. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, and it was, there's so much in there, you know. Guy took 17 years to write it, you know, so, you know. So I would guess that the, 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 this book, this up against it, it's, it's kind of like for people who read a lot, and it's a good, competent, read a lot science fiction book, but it's not one where, like, if you think about the way SFF audio podcasts and I guess good story podcasts work, Basically, what we're doing is we're saying uh, there's a lot going on in here. Let's unpack mm-hmm. it. I don't think there's anything to unpack and up against it because it's all been unpacked. That previously. could certainly it's all, it's on that the shelf. sounds right to me because, because we've shelf. already unpacked it. Yeah, it's all sitting there on the shelf. And like, I don't need to go back and do uh, like Luke was re-reviewing a, a book he'd already reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, he he re-reviewed. Uh, uh, the Walter M. Miller Jr. Oh, yeah. book. What's that called? Yeah, Canticle. Canticle for Leibowitz, mm-hmm. right? And um, I, I've heard both reviews, and in the second one, he unpacked it even more. But the way he does his show, right, that is a... Uh, he's he's doing it by himself, so he can't do the same amount of work. It's like moving a house, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> he can't do all the same amount of work. And I I could never imagine going back and doing Frankenstein again. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we do Frankenstein, it, as long as, you know, things are, we, we get a good show out, it's done. Can you imagine you reading know? Frankenstein again? I don't know. But what I can tell you is, Scott, I don't know that I need to read The Odyssey again. I read it again, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. you, um, you know, over six episodes or whatever right. it was. Um, and that was really good, but I have no desire at this point to go and read it again because I feel like I unpacked yeah. it pretty damn well. But I don't think this, I think this kind of book, and there's a lot of books like this in, not just in science fiction, but in the world, they don't need unpacking. You can do it all in your own head while you're reading mm-hmm. it. It's just, um, like, it's like television. You don't need, <laughs> unless, unless it's community or something for Scott's television. Podcast. You don't need a lot of um, 
And even then, you can do a whole series in one yeah. hour. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Even then, mm-hmm. you can do a whole television series in one hour. I, I don't understand with all these people who have podcasts about, like, currently airing television series like The Walking Dead and stuff. There's there's not that much to say. Mm-hmm. Say, wasn't it cool when that happened? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It all happens on the screen. You don't need to unpack it, pretty right, much. Right, right. So you yeah. want books with allegories that you can pluck the meeting out of? I, I want, I want to just, be yeah. thinking about it. I want it. I want it to tell me something that I can't quite figure out, and I need yeah, help. I, I guess I would say I want it to mean something to me. Um, mm. You know, that's another way. It's another way of saying the same thing. You know, it's it, it's just ha- I have to come away from a book feeling that that meant something, and that was time well spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the main thing for me. And I get that, you know, from science fiction or, you know, regular fiction. Or I recently read uh, The Zimmerman Telegram by Barbara Tuckman. You know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things, you know, I come away feeling, you know, that was that was time well spent. And, you know, it meant something to me. Oh, I don't know what that is. Uh, that's a book about about the sinking of the Lusitania? Um, no, it was. So the Zimmerman telegram is it's in World War One. It's it was kind of a uh I don't know, a spy story, true story. Um this telegram was intercepted by Britain, room forty in Britain, and translated mm-hmm. and given to Woodrow Wilson, who was trying to stay out of the war. And uh the telegram basically said uh it was to it was from Germany, the German Secretary of State to a German ambassador in Mexico urging Mexico to join the war against the United States or to basically be there to attack the United States (laughs) to keep them out, basically. And also, uh, would you talk to Japan while you're at it? (laughs) And then it was, was, you know, while Woodrow Wilson was fighting uh, all the political battles at home and in the United States, when he was presented with that, there was nothing left he could do. So into the war they went. Did you, so what I what I like about you bringing this up is, see that's history, right? Yeah. Now, if imagine that story was not history but a, a spy fiction story, would you be interested in reading it? Uh, possibly. Again, that would depend, wouldn't it? I don't think yeah, so. Maybe I not. So. I mean, but I've read I uh, so because uh, Tom Clancy it's before. The fact. That, uh, indeed, and have you read any recently? No, I have not. I have not. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking that the reason it's interesting is because it's real. I, imagine if up against it was not mimetic fiction from the future is what I'm going to call it now. Okay, mimetic fiction from the future. It's not mimetic fiction from the future, but a history of what is from the future. This is a a document uh, somehow came back in a time warp. Um, I would be scouring this book. True. Going, oh my god, these developments are so interesting. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to have a wave face yeah. soon. I should invest in Microsoft or whatever company sure, it sure. is. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that depth that comes from it being real is a different kind of depth than you have with some, it goes back to that Eve Online story. It, in some way, Eve Online is much more real than any fiction book because mm-hmm. the people there are actually somehow connected to the events in a in a real kind of way. And history, we are connected to those events in a very real way because the 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 world is like this. I we we don't know how we got here exactly, but by looking at the past we will have a better understanding of that. And it, it does really affect us in that way. It whereas this is it seems much more like, you know, reading a story about, you know, a, a fictional guy living in a in a street that doesn't exist in New York City, who's having an affair with a secretary and and you know uh, also an alcoholic. Yeah. I so I have no connection. I, I, I understand what you're saying there, and I do agree with you to an extent. But I do find value in general fiction as well. I don't think you read much general fiction, but I do some. No, not much. I do some, and not and uh, a story even fictional um, that has meaning. Is is also worthwhile in my opinion. I I I I was thinking about why I don't connect with it, and the thing is, is I actually do very occasionally. Um, uh, who's the guy who wrote The Godfather? Mario yeah. Puzo. 
Um, he wrote one that I connected with, uh, Tom Wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the guy, right, who wrote the right yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, he wrote some nonfiction or some just general fiction that I, I said, yeah, there's something going on here. It's, it, it's telling me something. But that's very rare. Yeah. Well, you know, when I read Hemingway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't walk away from it saying, oh my God, this is, Changed my life. I just say, oh, that's well. Nice I can't story. say I've had that feeling with Hemingway, but I have with Steinbeck, for example. Like East of Eden was a that was a mm-hmm. game changer to me. Um, okay. But yeah, so there is something you know. The the word meaning, I think, just has the most to me. So it's not only ideas, although I do appreciate ideas in science fiction, and it is one of well, the reasons I, to read it. Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, idea idea fiction, mm-hmm. right? It's it 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 has to have. It has to be showing you something. Yeah, I think. But Tam, do you read any general fiction? Um, usually it's genre. Like I'm reading a horror novel um, called Snowblind. Yeah. So, but that, that that's pretty yeah. engaging. But it doesn't have any like fantastic new ideas. But it, it yeah, engages. you know, horror, no, 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 horror no, novels horror and have is... general fiction elements. You know. Oh yeah, they really do. You know, because you, <laughs> I, I think you caring about the characters or or their situations. I don't think it has to have very much in the way of a of a, a sort of a fantastic element for me to be interested. It just has to have the potential for something. Yeah. So the next book on the schedule is The House of the Seven mm-hmm. Gables. As far as I can tell, there is no legitimate uh fantastic element. Um but there's a lot done with tone mm. in um is from what I can tell yeah. about it. And uh, it's going to be more like the Henry James, um, uh, the turn of the screw than it is like Henry James, the portrait of a lady. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that will make all the is difference. It, is that mimetic fiction? Well, portrait of a lady is, I mean, uh, uh, um, seven gables. No, it, it seems to be a Gothic. Uh, it's Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, um, and it's about a family in Massachusetts. I think that is, Perhaps cursed by a, an ancestral um, bad faith uh, deal, which witchcraft um, back in the old days, and it's based on a real house uh, that's still around called the House of the Seven Gables. And um, it, Lovecraft goes on and on and on and about it in supernatural horror and literature. And like Joel Walton, <laughs> I trust. I trusted, I trusted Joe Walton. I still trust Lovecraft. I don't know if I still trust <laughs> Joe Walton, but if, if you look in, if, if you look at that review that Tam pointed out, um, she didn't lie. She didn't lie. There's still potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she's pointing to in Joe Walton's pointing to with the MJ Locks up against it. There's still potential for science fiction because there's still people who know how to write yeah. it. This is science fiction. It's just, it's not, it's not teaching me anything I haven't seen before. Um, so if MJ Locke comes up with a, a new idea, some way to tackle the Eve online situation or something, um, then there's potential there for a, for a really engaging. Well, there's going to be a sequel of this one, surely. Well, really? I'm just saying, I don't think I don't think it. No, needs it, it doesn't I mean, need it. But there's a there's a nugget that she left there when the when the sapient was destroyed and right. it was launched. They uh, well, I say launched. A, a data packet went out, and uh, there's your hook for the next book. I'm just assuming. Don't, I I don't know for sure that. Yeah, it's I don't know if there's out, actually plans for it. Yeah, it's just it's I hope there. It, every every subsequent milk of a. A thing undercuts it in my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dune has been worsened by all the Dunes that have come since. Mm-hmm. That's I can't opinion. argue, but Dune Messiah was good. <laughs> How many times have we had that discussion? <laughs> I I said there's we probably I, ought to I, do Dune Messiah. I think there's good elements mm-hmm. in Dune Messiah, but I also think there's a lot of undercutting of the first book, which doesn't help you. Yeah, I think the problem is. Is it's 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 got something else going on, and he's just set it in the same world. Uh, and because I think the stuff that's in there is very fascinating, it's just um, it doesn't belong in that world. 
Uh, it, it it undercuts it because the, we don't need them to be the same characters to have this story. Mm-hmm. Well, no, we do. That was that's, that's <laughs> the whole point is uh, the fall, you know, of a charismatic leader, and the dangers of the falling of a charismatic leader leader blindly, um, and the perils of it. But he didn't fall in the first. No, book. he didn't. He rose in the first book and he fell in the second. But. By doing that, you're it, it, it's casting a shadow backwards on. on but that's on the, the purpose of it, right? Okay, well, <laughs> by that logic, by that logic, uh, Kevin J. Anderson and Frank uh, Ryan Herbert have have uh, have done what, what what Frank Herbert would have wanted by ruining the first book. Alrighty, but yeah, maybe we should do that someday. <clears throat> Uh, I I don't know if I want to reread that whole okay. book, but there's certainly parts of it that I wouldn't mind reading. Is that as long as the first one? Uh, no, it's much shorter. Similar. It's half, oh. half the size. Yep. Really? Okay. Sweet. Unusual. <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing. I mean, it's this is too long. I don't know why it's so long, other than cheeks being pillowed and stuff like that. Yeah, it is. It is um, possible if this was about half the length that I would have been really really enamored with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would guess that this is, you know, this is not because it needed to be that long. It's because of the market. There's some. This is not aimed at us. Mm-hmm. It, somehow it seems like it's two things. Like it's a YA book, and then it's coupled with, I guess, an adult mm. book, and it kind of goes back and forth. Yeah, is it, is it marketed as YA? Do you know, I don't. I don't believe so. I don't think it is either. You know, it's kind of. Like when it started, I thought again. I'm looking I mean, at a uh, little brother in space, and then it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, I wonder if the plans were originally to do YA, and then it didn't work out, and then she made it uh, a little of both. I don't know. I don't know either. So apparently, uh, George R. R. Martin doesn't think you're a fan of hard SF. Scott. <laughs> he says fans of hard SF will eat this up and shout for more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not. If I can't finish 2312, I don't know if I can call myself a fan of Hard SF anymore. Because that's what it is. Are, right? are you are you starving for Hard SF, Scott? Am I starved for it? Yeah. Sometimes I feel that way. You know, but Julie's been talking about a book called The, the Martian, and I know that uh, Luke talked about it. That sounds yeah, like I'm, something I'm, I'm interested that. in. I'm not that. Uh, you know. Yeah. One of the ones that it, Luke's review of it was very positive, and it, it sounded very sounded like a book. It sounds I would like, like Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Yeah, but with a sense of humor, and and you know, I, I can't tell you the names of most of the characters in this this up against mm-hmm. it. I I honestly I couldn't keep track of them, and I didn't really want to because that was not they just weren't doing it for me. But um, I've always had that problem. Whenever there's too many characters in a book, I just I just I don't know what's going on, and I sort of don't care. Um, you, you, there's no actual asteroid called Fo- Foetia, is there? I don't know. They're very I, well I, I, always, be, I mean, they've been naming a lot of them because they talked about series. They talked about series. They talked about a bunch of other ones. Um, Vesta, right? Like I was thinking, this Foetia, that's one thing that's not real in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm not coming up with like on a quick Google, but. But still, I, I don't know what they're doing up there. Uh, I know they're mining, but why are they mining? See, the real issue, you know, Scott, I want to go to Mars, but the reason I want to go to Mars is because I read a lot of science fiction, and I think Mars is, a, it'd be cool to go to another planet, but there's no real economic reason to do so. Yeah, sure there is. I mean, in, in my opinion, that there is. <laughs> no, you want no, it to I, be. Well, the, reason, the thing is, is there an economic reason, you know, was there an economic reason to go to the moon? And the the answer is that there no. was at the time they may not have known it, but the technology that was spawned and everything that they had to create in order to do that was helpful for humanity. So I would say that the same thing would be true of going to Mars. There there are things that need to be developed, things economic things that we don't know yet that will happen. Oh, by that logic, we we could find an economic reason to live in Antarctica. Um. Well, yeah. I mean. That's just not think, a huge economic reason, but the, you know, the survival techniques and the things that you'd learn in order to survive in Antarctica, I can't see how that wouldn't be helpful. But, but see, I think it's cool and we want it to be 
like I, I want asteroid mining to happen. I want people to be living out there because I read a lot of science fiction books and it also it's really cool and those places are cool and I'm interested in them. But it's it it is not there like we don't actually need metal that bad. We can get it from Earth much cheaper than we can get it from space. Um so like the only way this makes sense to me is look, the Earth's going to be invaded by aliens in 50 years. We need to build a space fleet. <laughs> no, if, right? if you if yeah. you had if you had colonies on Mars and things like that, it it would probably be easier to mine asteroids than it would to uh get it from Earth. You know, I, so I, there's I an economic reason right there if you're if you're wanting I mean, to expand so into the solar system, that's your economic reason. But you can't live on Mars, right? You have to take everything up there, just like the moon. Well, initially, I mean, yeah. But I want there to be Martian colonies. I want there to be moon colonies. Uh, it's not like a, it's not like a, an idle wish. I wish it was true. However, it's not going to happen. Well, that's not, that's not, I don't want to say that. I say it's not going to happen for an economic reason. As far as I can see, there's no, no Martian resources mm-hmm are unavailable on Earth. So so I read uh, oh, Frank, Frank Schatzang's Limit, and uh, he uh-huh. says the moon has something called helium-3, which could be our sure. replacement for energy. But he thinks well, you should that's... build a space elevator to, to get it the most cheaply. But, but that book I'm, is way I'm... too long, but that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> I'm fine with them mining helium-3. Um, however, our, our problems in terms of uh, energy are not those kinds of problems. It's not that we're, ne- we're never going to run out of gas. I'll tell you what it is, is we're, we're just not willing to, to have the price be as high. So the reason that they want to build a pipeline from Canada down into the States is not because they're running out of things to frack in the States and they'll, they'll frack as long, as much as they can. They're going to get hundreds of years worth of, gas out of out of the states. They're not going to get it for the price they want, is what it is. We're never going to get the EPA permits for a pipeline from Mars to the Earth. <laughs> no, and I don't think there's going to be as much frackable stuff there, because they don't have a very active core, as far as I can tell. The Martian volcanoes probably mean there's not a lot of... Well, who knows? There, there's some methane there. What the frack? This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.